How you doing, Ed? Very good. How are you? I'm all right. Are you still on the West Coast? Um, I am still in Seattle for a couple more days and I fly down to Vegas to uh, do some gambling and watch some showgirls. Are you going to do either of those things? No, I'm not. <laughs> are you going to go to some super boring work thing? Almost certainly, yes. Yeah, super boring work <laughs> thing with a bunch of dudes in suits. Are you going to be in Vegas for the derby then? No, actually, I'm going to be in LA for the derby, so I'll have to go find a bar or something like that. All right, LA Reds, hit head up on Twitter and tell him where to go and watch the derby. I'm sure there's some LA Reds. I think I'm staying in... Um, I'm staying in Marina Del Rey, so there's bound to be a bar around there, Venice Beach or something. Yeah, Marina Del Rey is red. That's the ultimate. (laughs) Marina Del Red, more like. Yeah, as the phrase goes, everyone knows that. Yeah, absolutely. So, will Manchester be blue or red after the derby? (sighs) Looking forward to it, are you? We don't don't normally do a pod during the international break, but, uh, you know, it feels like too big a game not to do one. Yeah, it does. I'm really, I'm sort of nervous about the game, I have to say. I find it very hard to, to... predict what's going to happen I I kind of feel like Mourinho and Pep both got the job and then they both saw the fixtures when they came out and they both thought right we've got to be ready by this date the first game after that first international break it's such a sort of pivotal moment in the season after it's the first game after the transfer window closes um, but not that that really affected either side who, who had all their business done really or essentially all their business done Joe Hart shipping off to Torino aside and yeah, I just wonder if they've just been like, I, I think the whole thing of like Mourinho playing matter on the right has just been a trick and he was planning to unleash Mkhitaryan in this game, although that hasn't quite gone according to plan. Well, we talked a little bit last week of uh, hoping Bailly wouldn't get injured or in, in fact, maybe half hoping Bailly's team might lose so they didn't have to go to the Africa Cup of Nations in, uh, in January. But um uh, it doesn't look like he's injured, but McTarian's picked up an injury. Shaw left the England camp with an injury. Hopefully it's minor. Um, Jose's been talking about Valencia not making it back in time from qualifiers in, in South America. Um, so the international break. Don't you love it? Brilliant. This one's my favourite one. Just totally ru- ruins all the flow of the season just beginning. And then a bunch of people get injuries. I can't help thinking that there's there's going to be there's going to be some serious masterminding going on in this. There's going to be some serious like these two managers going up against each other trying to pick holes in each other's kind of situations. What what weaknesses do you reckon Mourinho will have seen in Guardiola's Manchester City up to now? Well, they're still trying to bed in a back four and uh, I think that's that's probably the key one, isn't it? I mean, they do look really strong going forward. Raheem Sterling's having a, a great season. I mean, we've made fun of him for um, for some time on this pod, or occasionally on this pod, for having uh, 75 children and being in terrible form last season. But he, he looks like he's on fire. You know, the one saving grace for United, of course, is Aguero's ban. We can come on to that in a, a second, rightly, in my opinion. Um, but the back four... It's essentially a new back four, brand new goalkeeper. It looks like Bravo is going to make his debut, which uh, I'd be sticking some balls into the box and getting Fellaini in there big time. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Fellaini might be injured, of course. <laughs> doesn't just have to be Fellaini now. We've got we've got options for knocking it long to the big man. I know, Ibra could do some damage there. Seriously, Bravo's been brought in for his ability with his feet and he's a decent, he's a decent goalkeeper. But, um, you know, I think most Barca watchers would say that he's not the most commanding around his area and not the most comfortable with his hands with a high ball. So there's an option for United there. And and the rest of them, you know, there's some new players in there, aren't there? So John Stones is just bedding in. He's actually had a decent start to the season. Doesn't seem to be making a lot of the mistakes he was making at Everton last season. He wasn't always in the team at Everton last season. Um, but it'll be a test for him, uh, I'm sure. So I think that's the weakness. I think the tactical battle is a really interesting one because in, in uh, Real Madrid versus Barcelona games of the past, uh, it was it was clear that Barca were going to keep 65% of the ball in and uh, Real Madrid were going to play on the break. Is that really going to happen this time round? I mean, United have been uh, not hogging possession like they did under Van Gaal last season. Um, but we're very effective with it, uh, but certainly not parking the bus, as you know, you wouldn't expect a top team to do. So this, uh, the, how the pattern of the game plays out is, is going to be really fascinating. Yeah, you'll hear um, Jay from the Red Mancunian podcast. Uh, I did an interview with him this week, which you'll hear later in the show. And he talked about something which I've seen mentioned a few different places, which is the game where Mourinho brought Chelsea to United in what was David Moyes' first home game 
for for United and he played without a striker and just looked more than happy to settle for a draw. It's so it was so important to him clearly not not to lose that game while he was still getting his feet under the table essentially. I mean you kind of feel like his feet are more under the table at United now than they were at Chelsea then, but you I do wonder whether he would be really happy to just not let City get those three points if both teams get a point out of this game. I don't think either manager is going to be gutted about that. So you, there is the option of parking the bus, but it just doesn't play to United's strengths, does it? Like United's best qualities are in their attacking players, you would have thought. Would have thought, but you, you could have said that about any of Jose's Real yeah. Madrid sides as well. Yeah, so, I was just thinking that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, it doesn't feel like United are naturally set up to park the bus. I, I think what will happen is a very similar pattern of play to, to that we've seen so far this season from United, which is when United attack down one of the flanks, it's only going to be that flank that goes. Um, the other flank's going to tuck in. Uh, I think we'll, we'll if it depends on whether Flay's fit or not, but we'll play two players in the centre midfield. Pogba will sit a little bit and break when he can. You know, United will just play not completely open. Uh, they will have a safety net there for when they're pushing forward to make sure they're not caught on the break during the transitional phase. And, and you know, just classic Jose stuff, really. So um, we'll see if it gets to the last 15 minutes and United are 1-0 up. I think we can then assume that the bus may be parked. The the thing that I've seen a lot, in fact, um, at I'm GHTT says, am I oversimplifying it when I say their fullbacks moving into the middle will mean that Shaw, Martial, Valencia, etc. can just run the wings? Well, assuming that Shaw and Valencia are playing, this whole kind of question of Guardiola's inverted fullbacks, it does look like this is not the game for him to be doing that in, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen Guardiola change his tactics on the basis of another team. Yeah. Um, so he's going to do what he does. Uh, I, they, they're not inverted in a defensive phase, though. So so they're just it's just when City have possession that yeah. they kind of move into the middle of the park to make extra men there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. To, to always make that additional option um, for the passer. So it's kind of, it's about maybe if you're trying to exploit that, you have to exploit that in transition. Which... Uh, a Mourinho side is typically very good at. Yeah. You know, we've not actually seen a lot of play from United on the break this season, so it's uh, it would be theoretical, wouldn't it? Really, I mean, it's not as if United have been under bags of pressure from any of the teams we've faced so far. As as you'd expect, given the quality of teams United have faced, this might be different. This will be different, um, and we'll see whether United can exploit it. It does make a difference who plays, though, of course. You know, so yeah. McTarian, you'd think is a, a perfect choice really to to play on the break. All that pace, ability to run at players, um, ability to take men out. You know, very neat in his passing as well. Um, all can play wide and cross the ball in. So, yeah, he'd be a good choice, but it looks like he's out for 10 days. Doesn't seem like he'll be ready for the derby. We'll, we'll see. And, and then, you know, the other players who may or may not play as a result, if you're looking for to play fast on the break, you know, Fellaini wouldn't necessarily be your first choice, would he? But he's obviously been good this season. He's injured. Will he be fit? Uh, one matter, not always the best in those situations, is he? You know, tends to slow down play. But if McTarian is fit, he's definitely going to play. The, the two fullbacks of Valencia coming back very late, probably only arrive on Friday. Uh, and Shaw's got this little injury, a uh, small muscle injury or something like that. Allardyce didn't seem to big it up as a problem. But, you know, all big questions for United in terms of how they play. Yeah, and then there's the Marcus Rashford question, isn't there? Scored that brilliant goal against City, um, w- which won the derby at their place last season and should have been the springboard for United to kind of take that fourth Champions League spot off City. Um, but just Rashford looks perfectly set up to play this game. But yeah. it would be a complete shock if he started. I mean, in fact, the, the one position it wouldn't have been such a shock if he'd started would have been in place of Martial, But because um, Martial's formed obviously dipped. But great news all round. Uh, he scored in the international break and it was a lovely goal too. He was set up by Paul Pogba and um, slipped through past the last defender and just a, a very beautiful, calm, composed, confident finish. So I think yeah. that could be, you could see how much it meant to him too. He really celebrated that goal. He really did. And I thought Deschamps was, um, you know, we've uh, been pretty critical of Deschamps for his tactics during Euro 2016. But you said Martial was angry about how he had performed during Euro 2016. I told him I had complete faith in him. Don't worry, you know. So good. 
well, well, well handled, and uh, maybe that'll be the boost that he needs to sort of kickstart his season. The Rashford question is a big one, though, isn't it? You know, he was just so good, and m- maybe this is uh, red, red tinted glasses and nostalgia creeping in just a week after it happened. But I remember him being so good in that half hour cameo he had last week. Uh, that you couldn't leave him out, really. Danny Taylor's column in The Guardian is interesting this week. I was uh, I was obviously reading that while uh, eating my bowl of quinoa <laughs> and hating on Wayne Rooney. Uh, and uh, he basically says, you know, Allardyce has uh, made a big mistake leaving him out. What's the point of holding him back? He's going to go and play in front of 2,000 people in an under-21 game at Colchester. It's exactly, exactly right for England. He needs to be, he needed to be in that squad because uh, England haven't got a lot of game changes. And then for United, it's the same thing too, you know. Are you losing out on too much by just having him come off the bench with 15 minutes to go? Well, I think for England, much as I would love to see Rashford in the starting lineup, I think there is very, very sound logic to say let's not use him up when he's 18 like England have done with every kind of promising striker. How Wayne Rooney's career might have been different if he'd you know, been managed a little bit more conservatively in his early years. I don't know how you could have done that then. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think it was the England team that did that. Yeah. You know, really, I don't think so. You know, keeping him in the under twenty ones for an extra season, so he plays five less games. What difference is it going to make? You yeah, know, really. You might be right there. It's club level that's the problem. I mean, Michael Owen scoring in the World Cup nineteen ninety eight, younger than Rashford is now. Rooney scoring youth at Euro two thousand two, younger than Rashford is now. You know, Rashford pretty much the only bright light of England's absolutely dismal Euro 2016 campaign and Allardyce is going into this game away in Slovakia probably the hardest game of a really crappy quality group and uh, he's going to leave out what logically is one of his better players there you go your man Allardyce (laughs) from a United get it up to the big man is Andy Carroll fit from a United perspective there isn't necessarily anything wrong with... I mean, 15 minutes at the end of a game is one thing, but half an hour or 40 minutes at the end of a game is something very different. To have a game-changer of that calibre who can come off the bench, who presumably has got his head pretty firmly screwed on and his feet firmly on the ground in terms of not getting a strop on about being left out in favour of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You know, it's hardly an insult. It's hardly a slap in the face. It's hardly being left out in favour of Jamie Vardy. Um, so, you know, it's it's a it's a very reasonable thing to for him to be on the bench at this stage of his career and he can make such a phenomenal difference coming off the bench. And I think if it is five or ten minutes, then that is disappointing. But if it's 30 minutes when, when United need a goal, then then that is actually fine. Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a criti- criticism of, uh, of uh, Mourinho necessarily to say, you know, he, he probably won't start him. It's just a, it's a, it's a big question, right? Yeah, you know, this absolutely. guy has been so good since he came into the team that it's, uh, it's very hard to leave him out. It is, but as hard as it is to leave him out, it's that hard to get him into this side. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to leave someone, unless you're going to play him on the right wing and ask him, then you've got Martial on the left and Rashford on the right. That is a lot of strikers being asked to do defensive work. You don't want to leave Ibrahimovic out for this game. I think that would be a really big mistake. I think it's a bad time to drop Martial if he's just scored, you know. And and on the right, I think it's the right time to bring in Mkhitaryan. Um, so it's just very difficult. There isn't an easy answer, is there, with Rashford? Uh, there is. There is, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll skip um, over that one. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot that about that. That is a very easy answer. Forgot about anyway, that. Anyway, Rashford's not going to start. I mean, you know, the, there are other questions though. So in the centre and midfield, that's a big question too for United. I think we can, you know, it, it is going to be Martial, Ibrahimovic, probably Mata and Rooney up front. And the centre and midfield is going to be Pogba and one other. And uh, I, let's assume if Fellaini's fit, he plays. If he's not fit, who comes in? Is it Michael Carrick? Not really played much this season. Is it Ander Herrera and United take a gamble on on uh, those two dovetailing well in a defensive uh, phase of the game? Or who else? Schneiderling come in for a game? Doesn't seem to be very popular at, uh, with uh, Mourinho right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, we don't know, do we, how popular he is? I mean, he's not popular in the sense that he hasn't played yet. We don't know how he sees him, really, because because he's he's got his first eleven, hasn't he? We had a question about Michael Carrick actually. At Billy Bob one three one zero says Fellaini and Mkhitaryan might be out. So do you reckon that we're going to go with Carrick's experience and quality, or might Schneiderlin get a chance? There is an argument for Carrick, isn't there? It's not quite clear what he's in the squad for if he's not in the squad to play. Sometimes. Well, yeah, yeah, 
and and the experience having played in so many of these derbies, uh, cool head, all of that. It's just you know at the back of my mind, it's he hasn't played very much. Nope. He's he's thirty four. Yep. He, he's well, at least Ferguson thought he was a notoriously slow starter to the season. We everyone also uh, that's ever seen him play also thinks that. Yeah. So you know there are a lot of there are a lot of downsides to that. Schneiderlin would be a you know an easy fit into the team. Uh, wouldn't he? Don't really um, alongside Pogba. Just don't really fancy David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne kind of alternating and Raheem Sterling kind of targeting Michael Carrick. That that sounds bad to me. Yeah. Well. Uh, okay. So you know we've uh, well, that's midfield. So you think it's going to be Schneiderlin? Could be Herrera. Of course, that'd be the bold choice. Herrera playing slightly, dropping slightly deeper, uh, and using the ball very uh, very neatly. If United want to retain possession, because losing it's a problem, right? So I think he will move heaven and earth to try and make it be Fellaini, won't he? So it just depends on 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 how serious that injury is, and if Fellaini can play, I think he will. Imagine how good the balance of the United side would have been if uh, if they'd ponied up another thirty million for N'Golo Kante. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but then I don't know. We've we've got options. It's not like we. I know. It's just it's greedy, isn't it? It's greedy. Yeah, that really is greedy. Um, but but you know, we've had three years of eating gruel. <laughs> now we want all the food on the table. Uh, left back Luke Shaw, presumably, um, and I guess Marcus Rojo as backup. Oof. Uh, a frightening prospect indeed. Oof. And it's Blint. Blint, of course, in pre-season played a couple of games at left back. Yeah, so maybe Blint there and then Smalling and Bay. Smalling comes in and, and but that's breaking up the centre-back partnership. That has worked well this season. Yeah. And uh, despite Blint definitely not being a legend at United. I mean, whoever added me with that one, please. Um, the uh, The... The thing about um, the blint by partnership is that I've had this theory in the back of my mind that Guardiola is going to be the one to really find a way to exploit that specifically. And, you know, he'll set Sergio Aguero on daily blint in a really specific targeted way. But of course, there is no Sergio Aguero, uh, which is sort of a big deal for, for how the, that partnership is going to be tested. I mean, obviously, City have got plenty of good attacking talent, but missing Aguero is big. I, I can. It, it is big. I, yeah. I cannot believe there are City fans arguing that he shouldn't be banned for this game. It is, and and the kind of anger that's being directed at the FA and oh, it's typical Man United bias. Instead of the anger at their player who elbowed someone in the chest, like in throat, viciously in the game before the derby in a televised football match. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's um, it, it, it's it's very typical to point the other way you know so look just separate these two things the conspiracy and and uh whether Fellaini should have been banned a whole bunch of times yes of <laughs> for course different games yeah yeah of course you know if there's one player who's going to be banned from this game for having elbowed someone <laughs> you know I would have put a lot of money on it being Marouane yeah. and not Sergio Aguero he doesn't really seem that tight does he but uh but it is Aguero and it's right and he you know and uh he was caught by the video ref and he's rightly banned right so you can separate that out from uh, the rest of the conspiracy nonsense, you know, the FA having a Man United celebrating the Community Shield on their Twitter banner, or Fellaini not getting banned, or you know, this is all about United bias, or all of that is just a load of bollocks, isn't it? But uh, Wayne Rooney was banned for three games for swearing at a camera. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. It's yeah. I mean, the the kind of interesting thing, the one in genuinely interesting thing to come out of all of the furore around this is Mark Halsey saying on his Twitter feed that he had been told to say he had not seen things in uh, post match situations to try and get the the fair outcome of a ban. Basically, uh, Gary Neville absolutely flipping out about this, and of course George Weir's cousin on Twitter putting a thing a picture of Mark Halsey with some words over it and a load of people believing it was true oh. again. It's just not funny anymore. It's not funny. Well, it wasn't really that funny is, in the first place. It is quite funny. It, I mean, it's absolutely route one comedy. I mean, yeah. you know, there's no subtlety to this at all. And and the funny is not in the picture and the words. The funny is in dumb people believing it over and over again. But the thing is, like, if you, you could say that this is kind of making a point about the way people don't, do any fact checking on the internet but it feels like that point has just been made so now all you're trying to do is like oh here fishy fishy it's so route one i'm against it R- against route one comedy Ah, uh, yeah anyway 
Let's um, let's go back to not route one and talk about Manchester City because they probably won't be passing the ball more than about five yards, will they? How, how do you think they're going to play without Aguero? You know, given that he is banned and rightly so, is it? Does Ihanaccio just come straight into the side? Obviously, he's, you know, he's a goal machine, can't stop scoring, can he? Um, or do they play Sterling up front and bring Navas into the team? Um, you know, does Nolito play up front and they bring Navas in or Delphin? Is you know, there's a, there's a few options they can play for sure, but not a one for one change. No, um, but I think that their kind of strength in their strength in depth is is part of what's what they've got going for them, isn't it, this season? Um, I mean, Inacho is a goal machine, although I'm not sure he's off the mark in the Premier League this season. No, he's not. He's got one assist, but he hasn't got a goal yet this season. Nolito, though, has got two, but he's been playing wide, wide on the left. Yeah. And you could even play De Bruyne up front. I mean, it's he's Pep, so he could play Nicolas Otamendi up front. You know, you just don't know what Pep's going to do. Um, but I guess he... I guess play Nolito um, up front, play Sterling on the left, David Silva in the middle, De Bruyne on the right. That doesn't sound too shabby, does it? Yeah, I mean, they've basically, basically been playing a 4-3-3 this season. Yeah. So, you know, a Pep-style 4-3-3. So Nolito, Aguero and Sterling have been their front three and, and Silva, Fernandinho and De Bruyne have been through the middle, sort of, you know. And, and, uh, and, and it's a hell of a amount of firepower as a result. Um, and goals from pretty much anywhere in that team. Um, this this does disrupt things a little bit. You know, the least amount of change is bringing Hinaccio in. Yeah. Um, the most amount of change is moving Nolito around because a whole bunch of other players change positions. But, um, you know, they're so flexible, I guess it doesn't matter. And the thing about that system is that that just seems like a really good way to win a league, playing that system. But I'm not sure it seems like a great way to win this match, necessarily, because... Pogba's presence is going to be so disruptive to them trying to play with just Fernandinho and then two of their little tippy-tappy, brilliant attacking midfielders. Yeah. Uh, that up against Pogba and Fellaini seems like something of a recipe for disaster for City. Well, you know, I, you know I've never been a big fan of this tippy-tappy nonsense, so, <laughs> especially when you, you give it to them and uh, shove it up them, so, which, which uh, I think Pogba will do. You know, he'll cause them some problems. He'll cause them more problems if he... If he manages to run ahead of the ball and this is really important because who's going to follow him you know is it Fernandinho not necessarily the most defensive of defensive midfielders is he um and certainly not going to be Silva and and you know not likely to be De Bruyne so he could get a lot of a lot of joy out of getting ahead of the ball Pogba but he needs enough security behind him in order to do that but he could also get an awful lot of joy and I think this is much more likely to happen driving with the ball at City because Fernandinho's still got to go with him if he does that, and then he's going to have lots of options around him. Right, and there's a bunch of tippy-tappy little men, you know? So, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I think it feels like the conversation we had before the uh, 2011 Champions League final when we were like, yeah, we're just going to beat him up. Uh, that's, it's all well and good, isn't it, beating them up, if you can get the ball? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's going to be an enormous test, and, you know... In a way, I wouldn't be totally shocked if it if it ends up being slightly flat and the two teams slightly cancel each other out. Um, we because of our Patreon campaign, which some of you uh, have been very and backed us, and some people are a bit fed up with us that the fact that it exists. But you know, sorry about that. One of the re- things that the people who are fed up with it existing will get as a benefit is that one of the reasons that we've been able to uh, put interviews in the show is because of the Patreon campaign, because I can put some bit more time into the show behind the scenes. So this is one of those. I spoke to friend of the show, Jay Motti from the much missed Redman Cunion podcast. This is what Jay had to say. All right. So by popular demand, I am joined by uh, Jay Marty from the Red Man Cunion podcast. So I'm just going to get this out of the way because I know the answer to this question, but I'm just going to ask it because people will not forgive me if I don't. When when's the next podcast out? Do you know what? If 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 I had a pound for every tweet I got asking me when the next Red, Red Man Cunion podcast is out, I'd have at least twelve quid now. <laughs> um, <and laughs> people people do ask me. I've even been asked this all. So I don't know how people know who I am. But they like they come up and say, oh, when are you doing another podcast? 
Um, it's Craig's baby, the Red Mancunian podcast. Not literally, he has got a baby, but it's um, <laughs> it's his baby. And the, the the thing is, at the moment, we've all got kids, we all work, and we like to do it in a room together. We're we're not as good as you, Paul. We can't do it over different mediums. We get we get confused if you ask us to do something via you know Skype or whatever. It, it all goes wrong. We like to be in a room so we can insult each other properly. And um, the problem is, it's just getting together. I know this sounds like oh I'm so busy, but it is just life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously for the games, we're literally most of us are sort of going to the games, watching the game, and then then leaving, then going home afterwards. We're not even sort of. We don't have time even around the, the game, so it's been difficult because we've all been saying to each other, oh, we need to do another one, we want to do another one. And before you know it, I think the last time we did one, David Moyes had just been appointed or something. It was that long ago. <laughs> you know, Maran Fellaini was our marquee signing. It was, it was, it was, it was ages ago. I can't, I can't remember where we're up to. We'd have to, we'd have to have such a recap. It probably take us about five podcasts to, to recap on what we missed. So we, we're not giving up. I think we're going to try and do something in the future, but at the moment, in terms of what it used to be, where we used to do it every week, anything like that, that's not going to happen. It's just when we can all get together, we'll try and get one out there. But we don't, we don't need us anyway. You guys, you guys have cornered the market in United <laughs> podcasts. There's no point. We've just been the, we've just been the poor, poor nephew of the the rant cast. So that was part of the reason I think we we got this illusion. <laughs> Um, yeah, thanks. Cheers. Yeah, keep not doing podcasts. It's really helpful for us. No, I'm I'm, <laughs> yeah, listen, yeah, I'm, I'm a listener first and a podcaster second. So I'm I'm very I miss diplomatic. The show. Very diplomatic answers. Um, very good. So uh, we're doing this. This is a derby preview show. Really, you're in the heart of it at the moment. You've you've seen a lot of what's gone on at City lately and you've seen a, obviously you've seen a lot of what's gone on at United. What do you make about where the two clubs are kind of both poised at the moment? I think it's fantastic. I do. From a United point of view, I think it's great. From a neutral point of view, not that I'm too bothered about what neutrals think, I think it's great. And even think from a City point of view, they've got to be buzzing as well because I can't recall United and City being this sort of balanced where both teams are almost equal. Both sets of fans believe their team is better off and everything is sort of falling into place where it all compares with each other. United have got one of the most sought-after managers in the world. City get one of the most sought-after managers in the world. United have got a host of new signings, exciting signings that are, you know, that be the envy of any team. City go out and spend a lot of money on new signings that, again, a lot of, a lot of teams would happily have. United have Marcus Rashford. City will come back and say, oh, we've got Iniesta, although I don't think he's anywhere near as good. So it's all sort of, you look at it, it's all level playing fields. The points total from last season was level. So everything is almost geared towards it being like it was a few years ago when United had a bit of a wobbly point and City came up a bit when when, when they took the title. It's almost like that, that level of, you, you can't put too much difference between the two sides. And that's why I think the derby is going to be crucial. I could see it being a derby, though. When you look back at the end of the season, you could say, those three points or that draw or whatever that made a big difference yeah absolutely are you what I mean like what are you expecting from the game are you confident I am but I'm one thing that sticks in my memory and this might be crackers but do you remember when David Moyes took over I know we've tried to erase the David Moyes era, era from our memories and it's just like a big redacted document in our memories <laughs> where there's a big blank black space where it's just sort of you go from Fergie to sort of the FA Cup final under Van Hal and then <laughs> and, and then Mourinho takes over but um, if we can just rem- try and sort of cast our minds back to that dark, the beginning of the dark ages shall we say yeah. but I, you, remember Mourinho came to Old Trafford I think he was the first visiting manager yeah. with Chelsea post Fergie and I have never seen a team come to Old Trafford and be more happy with the draw I think in my 30 odd years of following United he came I think he had no striker he played for a 0-0 and he got a 0-0 and at no point did he ever look like wanting anything more I don't even think he wanted to win it was just like he knew a draw would be a good result for him so he went for it and I'm wondering whether a little bit of that might creep in where he might think early in the season not losing is more important than winning so let's not lose. Now that's that. I know that people are going to be going, oh, you're so negative. Marino won't do that. He's this, that, and the other. But he would because he's a very practical sort of manager. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was thinking, part of him was thinking, let's just not lose this. And that'll be a good result for us. I don't think we should do that. I think we should go for it. And even if Aguero was playing, I think we should still go with it because I think Bayer would have dealt with him. But 
without Aguero especially and Old Trafford this early in the season a win would be huge and I think we should just go for it I think we should do but I expect it to be a bit sensitive and I think Guardiola will be thinking the same as well he'll be thinking mm, a point at Old Trafford this early in the season without Aguero not a bad result so it might be a bit of a stalemate that's what I think it's gonna, it could be So do you think that either of the managers would have spotted a weakness in the other team so far? Um, these guys Guardiola and Mourinho I think they don't take a piss without planning it out (laughs) do they so I'm pretty sure they're going to have analysed every or they'll have had a team that's just analysing the opposition I know that I think um Villas Boas got his start in management, or not his start, but one of his first jobs with Mourinho was compiling DVDs and dossiers on the opposition. That was all he did. So I can imagine that Mourinho's had either one of his lackeys or himself has just been studying City. He knows Guardiola anyway. He'll have been looking at the way they've been playing. He knows City from, from obviously managing Chelsea in previous seasons. So I'm guessing he'll have worked out a weakness. Guardiola's obviously, he's got a little bit, he's gonna, it's been a little bit harder for him because he's just come into English football. He won't know. United as well as Mourinho knows City but again he's another one who he loves his tactics analysing the opposition so yeah I think both teams uh, sorry both managers will have looked for a weakness and will they have found a weakness I think the problem that Guardiola's going to have trying to find a weakness with United is if you go back to last season yes there were weaknesses there we favoured possession over penetration all the rest of it this season it's not the same it's different and that's what Mourinho's got to remember as well about Guardiola about City they're not they're not the same under Guardiola as they were under Pellegrini but there are weaknesses there I've, I've seen a little bit of City and I thought against Sunderland who are probably one of the worst teams in the Premier League they were a little bit lucky to get a win and again, I thought um, against Stoke, there were a couple of signs there that they didn't get it all their own way. So there are weaknesses there. And again, United, we're not infallible. We all know that. It's been a great sort of start to the season. And we almost seem to have forgotten about all the problems we had under Louis van Gaal. But we'd be kidding ourselves if we think this is it. We're sorted. We've turned a corner now. And now we're, this is, you know, we're destined for the title. It's not, it's not the case. There are going to be a few ups and downs along the way and I think there's a Mourinho's going to have to do a bit of fine tuning so yeah I think there will be weaknesses but I don't know if that's going to lead to a high scoring game I think it could lead to a bit more of a stalemate if I'm honest okay um what have you made of United particularly um the the kind of vibe around the club the 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 buzz on that Friday night game against Southampton was pretty incredible wasn't it it was it was just you know what a difference a managerial appointment makes it was just like it was like a party atmosphere wasn't it it was it, everyone was just so happy and obviously the game helps as well because we, we, we saw some, we saw we saw goals at our end I, I'm at the end where you, we didn't see a goal in the first half for about seven months or whatever it was and um, we, saw, we saw penalties and goals everything it was, it was just all happening yeah and the, the atmosphere was great and obviously Pogba I mean I don't want to get carried away but he looks like the greatest footballer in the history of association football <laughs> I'm just going to pull out I, don't, you know, yeah. I, I got that just from his first 12 minutes against Southampton that's what yeah. I, that's when I made my mind up um, yeah exactly well it's a toss up between him and Rashford isn't it surely who's <laughs> the greatest player ever um, but yeah there's a great atmosphere there we've got options now at United you look at it and a few months ago and you were thinking one or two injuries and all of a sudden you've got I know it's great when the youngsters came in but you're thinking we're looking a bit lightweight, especially when you look at our bench at times. Now, you look at our bench, and it's full of either young internationals or older internationals who are great. Anyway, it's just, it's, you know, people like Mkhitaryan and Rashford on the bench, they'd walk into any team. They would. And when you've got that, you, you know, you've got that at your club, coming from what we've come from as, as United fans, where we've had such a... Such a a time of it watching negative football it can't, you can't help but be excited and I think the whole thing of having a new manager new signings a new style of football and, and the, the real belief the belief is there now I just think it's, it's, it was a, it's a great atmosphere and it's been great at, at United lately you know the whole atmosphere even on social media going back six months people were falling over themselves to come out with negativity it was just constant stream negativity you went online everyone couldn't wait to post something and criticise this criticise that and I've been as guilty as that as anyone now it's the other way around you know if you type into Twitter Vlatan or Marcus or you know any, well, Jose or whatever you will just see a constant stream of, of United fans just absolutely 
loving it, and rightly so. Fantastic. Well, um, assuming that you don't ever get together and do more podcasts, we'll get you back on uh, before the end of the season so people can get their like little little red mancunian fixes in amongst um, you do, I know what you're doing here. You're getting me on, so you can just remind everyone of how good your <laughs> rancast is. You say, listen, uh, and all you, though, anyone out there pining for red mancunian, we'll get him on now and again just to remind him they're not that great after all. He just waffled on with himself for 15 minutes. There you it's go. Exactly, exa- exactly the opposite. <laughs> always a pleasure to speak to jay um I, it is but you know the thing is yeah. paul we've both got jobs <laughs> and uh, and kids i haven't got kids uh, and and i do a lot of work travel um yeah but you've got other responsibilities so you know i, I think these red mancunian boys just need to pull their finger out <laughs> i think shit i think it's just not making enough air it's not 100 percent commitment that's what i'm saying <laughs> As 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 Jay said, um, the fact that they have to do this in person, um, and we we get to do it with you on the west coast of America, and me not very much not on the west coast of America, does make a big difference. Um, but we'll we'll definitely try and get a few more of those boys on um, throughout the season, and we'll speak to Jay again because it's uh, one of my favourite things to do is talk to Jay about football. I, I thought he made some excellent points about Mourinho and that that the fact that Mourinho will be really happy to get a point out of this game because City not getting three points here is enormous because the the title race is likely to be so close. I mean, Chelsea, maybe, maybe I'm underestimating Conte and I'm underestimating that Chelsea squad. But to me, it, this does look like pretty obviously the clash between the two best managers and the two best squads in the league. Uh, I, I think so. And, you know, I think anyone... For, Personal opinion: Anyone who finishes above City wins the Premier League this season. Um, they 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 are the team to beat. Uh, the the one question mark is how quickly can Guardiola get you know his team into uh, his pattern of play and into their stride and winning? And and they seem to have done that quite quickly, don't they? You know, three games out of three. I mean, I have to say they were pretty lucky against West Ham. You know, it's not that West Ham were loads on top or anything like that because they weren't. But they got a goal back and Aguero should have been sent off and wasn't. And then City scored after that, you know. And it could have been very, very different if the last 15 minutes of the game had been City down to 10 men and West Ham trying to chase an equaliser. You know, could have had a very different result there. But, you know, aside from that, they've been pretty good. They smashed out Bucharest, didn't they? Well, at least in the first leg, uh, qualified comfortably for the Champions League. So they are looking good. Um, that kind of early bedding in process doesn't seem to have taken much out of them. But you can say the same for United as well. You know, we're looking pretty, pretty good. And that early bedding in process has been, well, a great leap forward from last season. I wonder whether City fans are saying, yeah, but, you know, if you look, so they were, United were actually quite lucky against Southampton. Southampton definitely had chances. And, you know, I mean, I, I, and, and they haven't really played anyone yet. So it's hard to tell. I wonder whether they'd be saying that same sort of thing about that. But, yeah, I mean, both both sides are up and running. I think in both cases, more than I would have expected to th- them to be by this point. I expected it to take longer for Pep to do his Pep business uh, at City. And I think I expected United to be a little bit more stuttery, but that's just force of habit, really. It's because we've been so stuttery for the last three years. Um, but no, they're, they're, both teams are ready to go. And, I, you know, it's it's fascinating that... Manchester is the centre of the football universe for the next week, isn't it? There isn't a bigger story in football than the Manchester derby. And that is super cool. It's just a, a, a very, it's amazing that that this this battle is happening on our patch, really, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was. Uh, it's not been a great season for either Manchester clubs. Oh, it wasn't a great season for either, either Manchester clubs last season. Um, it wasn't the centre of the footballing universe and, and it's returned. Great stuff. Um, it's going to be greater stuff when United win, of course. Of course, yeah, because we don't want to be second best in the centre of the football universe. That would be very painful indeed. Second is nothing, and uh, yeah, uh, second to City is even worse than nothing. So, um, no, it's it's very important. And and look, Jose knows this more than anyone uh, because it results is everything. So um, he were he if you offered him a draw right now, he would absolutely bite your hand off for it. No doubt about that. But uh, if United win, it's a massive boost. Should we, uh, should we take some Twitter questions? We've got lots, as always. Let's do it. Uh, should we be worried, says at Ripper 48 uh, 
about the long-term consequences, well, the long-term situation around Luke Shaw, given he's been sent home from the England camp as a precaution. I, I don't know whether we've got inform- enough information to be worried, but Allardyce's first discussion around this was very odd. He sort of said, oh, he's all right. He's just not really feeling well. He just doesn't seem to feel well. And there was something there where I was like, hmm, is there, is there something going on? Because... You know, Shaw's spoken very eloquently about how difficult the last year's been for him. Maybe maybe this is just nothing and it was lost in translation between Allardyce and the rest of the world. And actually, he's just got a little muscle knock, as you said. Yeah, well, I mean, Allardyce, I think, cleared that up and said it was uh, a tight muscle. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, I guess this early in the season, he doesn't want to take any risks. He's been a club manager. I, I'm not sure that too many of his team were in the England side. Um, over the years, but you know he's been. They were all internationals, though, weren't they? Yeah. In the Bolton side, yeah, man, many of them were. And um, so you know he knows what it's like, and he, I guess, he doesn't want to take a risk with uh, an important player. And he has got other options at left back, I guess, not great ones, but he's got other options. At they were listen. Don't you ever go at Broadway, Danny Rose? I just wanted to say that because I'm trying to make his nickname be Broadway. It's never going to work, but it should. It definitely should. Um, odds on Pep and Jose needing to be separated by the fourth official says that they were Kones. There will definitely be a moment. Uh, there always is, isn't there? You know, I mean, Mourinho may try and poke it, um, provoke it. <laughs> what an amazing Freudian slip that was. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've just been rereading after our chat last week on the Patreon bonus stuff about football books. I've been rereading um, Slatan's autobiography and that first chapter about his time at Barcelona and his complete disrespect for Pep Guardiola. It's uh, it's a, an amazing subplot to this game. How little time Zlatan has for Pep Guardiola. I know. I know. I mean, it feels like we might be the baddies here. Uh, oh, it, no question. Yeah, and oh. we need a bit of shit stirring. Just to, you might as well play to that. And, uh, I, you know, it's a shame we haven't got Pepe in the side, really. It's p- perfect for this one game, isn't it? Mm, I don't know. They did lose very heavily a lot of times in that matchup with Pepe there. Maybe it's good he's not around. Um, at J McCowan Esquire says, talking of us being the baddies, why is Pep managing Man City? Does he have no self-respect? Uh, well, you know, he's got respect for his bank account, hasn't he? He's he's just a flat track bully, isn't he? He uh, he takes over teams with loads of money and uh, a great squad of players and wins everything. It's like such an insult to a man who is genuinely a proper football visionary. Like I know he's on the other side, and that is bad. But you know, it's like the idea that all Pep can do is take good teams and make them better. That's not like that's not a skill in itself. Um. Which player's haircut would you most like to see Pogba wearing next? Asks at Beware of the Pog. Personally, I'd go for PJ4s. Paul Pogba with like some serious Phil Jones highlights. And Paul Pogba with a Daily Blind man bun. That, that could work. Mm, not really. Uh, at Joe Greeny, serious question for you, Ed. Can Damian be a better fullback under Mourinho? Uh, no. I mean, you know, I, I guess we could have more consistent performances out of him. Um, I, I think what we get from Damian is a is a is a defender's defender uh, who still makes some mistakes, you know. And um, if United are putting a lot of emphasis on attacking fullbacks this season, which I think we are because the rest of it's quite narrow, uh, then Damian's just not the right choice for this team at all. So uh, we've had a question somewhere which I can't find. I'm sorry to say, um, but we had a qu- oh yeah no it's from at Wormito who says who would you play at right back if Tony V is not available? Yeah. Um, do we play Timothy Fosumenta there uh, in this game? I mean, I don't think that's a bad shout. No, it's not a bad shout, but he's not played at all. But then again, none of the others have either. You know, how much preseason football have any of Fosumenta or Phil Jones or Damian had? Yeah. Well, because they're your options. Wow. Phil, like none, Phil Jones. Basically. Are you considering Phil Jones an option at right back? Theoretically. He's fit and available. That'd be amazing banter if he just went, yep, I'm going, Tony V's not here. I'm going to play Phil Jones at right back. That seems like a good idea. Yeah, he kicked David Silver into the stands. At uh, Commander Chode says, what do you think of owners buying lots of clubs and sharing the resources, like signing players from each other, etc.? For example, um, the Watford owners. Yeah, I think it's massively open to abuse. It's just moving players around and effectively pooling resources. 
Um, and, and, you know, not only is it open to abuse, it's, it's kind of pretty disrespectful for the, uh, the lower part of that equation, right? And I'm not sure who is the lower part of the Watford-Udinese equation. It seems like it's Udinese, but it's pretty disrespectful for, for that side of things, you know. And, and, of course, it can't happen if we get to a situation where the two sides are in European football. So, you know, UEFA take a very dim view of this for, for all those reasons. You know, the competition factor, the fact that it's open to abuse. I, I think it's not a good, um, not a good uh, trend we've got going there. You know, much like third party ownership of players. I think this is one that will get regulated eventually. We saw it with Frank Lampard and Man City, didn't we? That, that very strange deal where he signed for New York City and then ended up playing for Man City. Um, that, and yeah, that, I don't know. I, my definite knee-jerk instinct is this seems like it's gaming the system. It seems like that's what it's for. Um, maybe there's some benefits to it that I can't see, but I don't look too good. Hmm. So City are, are using it to um, kind of create a global brand around City football. You know, all, all the teams that they own wear the same colours and uh, and they're called City, something like Melbourne City, Manchester City, New York City. That, isn't there, isn't there, haven't, aren't they part of the Yokohama... Didn't they buy into them? It might not be a full ownership. It might be part ownership. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing. And they haven't really used that system, aside from Frank Lampard, to kind of pool players. Um, I mean, Chelsea are pooling players. You know, they're 38 out on loan and they're kind of using the loan system to do the same thing. And it's kind of harvesting talent. Um, in order to keep it away from your rivals, basically. You know, you're playing a numbers game to say we're going to see which of these rise to the top. And that's pretty abusive as well. You know, that's that's uh, that's the kind of power law of footballers that's saying, you know, the top few clubs will have all the best players and just decide on their careers. Um, and uh, and that's anti-competitive because it means that the clubs below that who can't afford to play that game of pooling players and harvesting assets up, harvesting capital, if you like, uh, are then going to be left in a worse situation. You know, you kind of get this exponential um, problem where all the best players end up at the top, you know, and, and it's not really happened in football yet. But if, if Chelsea, the way they're doing it, pooling players in City, the way they're doing it, pooling clubs, and a few others start to do that, um, then all the rest have to follow. Uh, and I'm not sure that's a good thing for the structure of football altogether. No, absolutely. And then you get the situation that you're getting now, talk about the structure of football, where um, B teams from the Premier League and the Championship were invited to join the Johnston's Paint Trophy, um, which is very easy to see as the thin end of the wedge for a kind of five-division structure in the champ in the football league and you know b teams playing in the football league and all that kind of stuff which just ever more concentrates power in football and quality in football at the top of the pyramid yeah how many b teams actually took it up because i uh, last i looked most didn't no but some definitely did and there were record low attendances at a lot of games in that competition because fans boycotted because the Johnson's Paint Trophy, of course, is not a meaningful trophy if you support Man United. But if you support a team who that is legitimately their, by far their best chance of success, then this is actually quite a serious blow because it means yeah, no Wembley yeah, yeah. for you, you know. Ian McIntosh talked about that on the Guardian Football Weekly podcast. Really good. No, that, that's right. So Everton, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Leicester, Swansea, Chelsea, Southampton, West Brom appears to be the Premier League teams that have entered that that tournament. So Chelsea being the only one of the the, the big clubs that have that have done it. But you know, I, I I'm with all the supporters who are fully against this. You know, I think it's a really bad idea. I do think you have a problem, right? So if you look at it from a selfish Premier League point of view, there's too big a gap between the Premier League um, and what is now is it an under twenty three league now? They keep changing it or under twenty one league. Um, this, I believe it's under twenty three. Yeah, right. They changed it again, right, to try and bridge that gap. But you know, if you're if you're twenty three, you haven't made it into the first team of a Premier League team. It's not going to happen. You know, so this is going to be fringe players dumped into that. It's, it's still not going to solve the problem, which is how, when you're 18, do you get into a Premier League side? Um, so they, they, they're desperately trying to find a way to do that because 30% of the players in the Premier League are English and they're not filtering through into the into the main England team, you know? I'm not sure that 
even strengthening the 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 um the the B teams or the under twenty one teams will really solve that problem because you know there's a lot of global recruitment. It's a very globalized sport these days. But they're still, you know, they're all trying to solve that problem. And and so selfishly, they see this competition as another way to get competitive games. Um, but it just totally destroys the integrity of the competition. Yeah, selfishly is the, absolutely the right word, isn't it? I mean, something needs to be done about the uh, Premier League development squads. But what isn't what needs to be done is that football at lower down levels just gets destroyed in its wake. Because... You know, this is a Manchester United podcast. You were joking like, are we the buddies earlier? We may or may not be the buddies in this particular rivalry, but we definitely are when it comes to like evil mega conglomerates ruining football. Lower division football is actually important. It isn't something to just discard to serve the elite level of the game because it serves a vital social function. And... Oh, sure. And it's for that reason, you know, it's, and so the Premier League don't care about it because it doesn't generate them any money. And actually, it's not a, it's not a proving ground for young players either, right? So not enough players come out of the, the championship or not many players come out of the championship in lower leagues and come and make a career of it at the, at the Premier League. A few. Yeah, but it's the exception. For sure, isn't it? you know. Yeah, they're, they're definitely the exception. So there are many re- reasons why Premier League clubs just couldn't give a toss about lo- the lower leagues. But you're right, you know, social function, centuries old clubs or, you know, century old clubs. Um, and, you, you know, football is not just the Premier League. This is important. It's important. And, and England's one of the few countries in the world that manages to st- sustain four professional leagues, you know. And, and it, of course, you know, you get great crowds going down even further than that. You know, t- we talked about Salford last week. Top of uh, top of their league, um, FC Man- Man- United and Manchester, about midway through that league, getting crowds of you know more than three thousand every week. Um, that's that's real football and important. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, episode two of the Salford Sec- City documentary, much better than the first episode. Uh, still very docu soapish, but much better watch than the first episode. Having been very mean about the first episode, I thought I should say something nice about that because it was quite entertaining. That second one. Um, anyway, uh, in a completely different subject, this one's for me, Ed. At Gary underscore Dunn says, Rocket League or Star Wars Battlefront? You're talking about literally hundreds of hours versus about 10 hours in terms of my experience there. My answer to pretty much any Rocket League or question in video games will be Rocket League. Um, at Shivam underscore Chopra says, if you could choose one of Rio or Vidic at their prime to partner Eric Bailly in defence, who would you pick? Uh, hashtag friend of the rank cast. Yes, you are. I, I pick Rio every time because he's he's the better of the players. You know, just just. I I, I hope in time we uh, you know history says history remembers Rio as one of the the real greats of his generation because he really was. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely everything as a central defender. Yeah, and I, I say this every time this comes up, but I've never seen a player who makes the player alongside him look better than Rio Ferdinand. Everyone who ever played alongside him in the last 10 years of his career basically looked good. So, yeah, the the perfect partner for just about any centre-back. At United underscore Phil says, is there a risk that with De Gea seeing less of the ball this year, he may lose some of those magical powers? He definitely hasn't had to pull off a single wonder save all season. No, but his levels of concentration are great. So I'm not worried about that. He can do nothing and then pull off three or four against City at the weekend. Hopefully he doesn't have to pull off any. Um, at LaFalse number 12 says, are we all on loan from Chelsea and just don't know it? <laughs> yeah. we are, ev- everyone's on loan from yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, uh, we're in Elon Musk's sort of, you know, virtual reality world where none of this is actually real. What was he, what did he say? Like, it's like a, like a non-trivial chance or that, or it's, it's incredibly unlikely yeah. that it actually is real. Yes. What was yes, it? Yes, yeah. But so basically his theory is that just play it forward, you know, exponential growth in computing power. Um, in in a few years' time, we'll be in a, a world where it's impossible to tell the difference between reality and virtual reality. Play that logic forward, and basically, um, we're probably in a virtual reality world now. Um, and uh, you know, just uh, picking our time and place. I tell you what, if, if that's the case, the time and place is still going to be Old Trafford. <laughs> at- <laughs> It's still going to be Old Trafford on the tenth, isn't it? Absolutely. All right. Uh, talking of which, let's let's make this the last question. Um, at Lucas underscore M United, what's your most favourite derby game? Uh, there's been some good ones. 
I mean, for various different reasons, all the ones where we scored in the last minute and broke City's hearts. Yes. Uh, of those, which was your favourite? I think Skulls for me. The Skulls header, that, that might be my favourite one of those. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that might be the wildest celebration. I mean, you know, obviously it's tainted because of who scored, but the the 4-3... Is still magical yeah, that was as well, um, and and Rooney's overhead. We talked about this just before we started recording. I, I was watching. Oh, yeah, I can't believe you're bringing this I, I, up. I just got to. I just you know because this it's brilliant. This is an agenda. This is what an agenda looks it's like. It's not an agenda. It's not an agenda. I just I, I laughed out loud when I watched it because because of hashtag agenda. Right, so I was watching the uh, the Rooney goal again, the overhead kick. You know, his his most famous goal, his best ever goal, a wonderful moment, and just a sublime piece of skill. Um, from a player about at his peak. But in the build-up to that goal, I was watching it from another angle and uh, had it all a bit... And, you know, Berbatov's just beautiful in the build-up. He's, he's all soft touches and moving the ball around. He completely orchestrates space. Um, there's a couple of nice flicks from Skulls. Um, and it comes, it's zipped into Rooney, into his feet. He's got his back to goal and it bounces off his foot, loops about eight foot in the air and goes about 10 foot away from him, but falls to a United player and it's played out wide and, and you know, the ball comes in from Nani and Rooney does the overhead kick. And it's just like, it's Rooney in a microcosm, isn't it? You know, uh, just an awful first touch, a total Rooney first touch and then a wonderful overhead kick to to win the game. Yeah, that was Pretty amazing that moment. Um, Cantona, I have memories of Cantona in the derby. They're all a bit hazy because they he's happened a, in the nineties. He scored a couple, yeah. A beautiful comeback when uh, Roy Keane scored twice as oh, well. I remember yes. at Main Road, that was a great one. And of course, there's the time we smashed them five nil as yeah. well. But the comebacks and the late wins are better than those, really, aren't they? The, the, especially like you know, because this is not a braggy thing, but the the mismatch between the two sides at the time was so significant that really us battering them was just what was supposed to happen really. But it was, it was the kind of the dramatic moments there. And that, that Michael Owen goal is really, really a special moment. And uh, I know he's Michael Owen and he's a right old div, but that really was amazing. Did you see what he tweeted earlier this week? It must have been a joke. He must have known what he was saying when he tweeted. I love the way Klopp's going about his business. Yeah. There's nothing worse than having senior pros around not contributing anything. I know. I know. I, I'm look, He's intelligent enough to know. I think he was saying that with some irony. Yeah. I think you are. Because, like, Newcastle, Stoke, United. Yeah. Uh, he just wasted. <laughs> Talk about stealing a living. Yeah. Did it for the latter half of his career, didn't he? So, yeah. Um, but he gave us that one moment, and it was genuinely really special. After this, I'm going to go off and watch them and get uh, get all, you know, worked up with a bunch of last-minute <laughs> goals. Come on. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure whether I'd want United to win it last minute. I mean, or just smash them 5-0. I, I think a 5-0 drubbing right at this stage in, in the yeah. con- context of everything would be uh, would be pretty good. Yeah, that's totally different now. Now a drubbing in either direction is much more significant because the teams are so obviously matched punch for punch at the moment uh, that if we smash them, that would be incredible. Imagine the ridiculous level of expectation there will be around the club. I mean, I, I, th- I think I'm going to actually predict, because we've got to do predictions, I'm actually going to predict a 1-1 draw on a slightly less because we talked this game up for an hour um, but I'm actually slightly afraid that it's going to be a bit less exciting than we all think it is although that's that's almost that almost feels like it's a protection mechanism saying that because when I really think about when you think about all the the moving parts involved in this game Ibrahimovic De Bruyne Mourinho Guardiola Pogba you know it's there's an incredible level of quality. All right, two all drop. Three two win to us. Last minute, Ibrahimovic. Come on. Gosh, you, you worked yourself into a ridiculous <laughs> yeah. prediction over the course I, of about 30 I, seconds. Yeah. I worked myself into a shoot there, for sure. So so I wonder whether there won't be goals. You know, seriously, City have scored two or more in every game, apart from that game against Al Bucharest where they just didn't care anymore, right? So I think City will score goals. I know United look been looking tight at the back, but this is a team that creates all the time. Um, so it'll be a real test for Bailly and, and Blint. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say two all. I think United will score as well because, uh, you know, I'm not sure I fancy City's back line. So, all right, you've gone with two all. I've gone with three two, a last minute Ibrahimovic winner and absolute bedlam at Old Trafford. Oh, it would be sweet. It really would be sweet. One thing that I can predict with absolute certainty is that we're going to be back after the derby, but it won't be for a couple of days after the derby because of Ed's travel arrangements. Um, But we will get you a podcast uh, in the sort of middle of the week after the derby. Um, But 
we will definitely be here and we'll definitely be looking at that game and its implications for the title race and whether the title race will be over by the next time we speak to you because United will have won 10 nil and that will be an irredeemable blow for Guardiola's self-esteem and he'll have left the club in a huff realising that he should never have joined them in the first place. Yeah, very good. Uh, haven't, we, haven't we got it? I was going to say we've got a vacancy in the under-18s but it's just been filled. So, um Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, could have offered him that job, but yeah, no, sorry, Pep. Um, I don't know anything about that chap that's filled that job, but he's uh, comes with a good reputation and uh, it was a very good first performance. Angel Gomez with a couple of assists in that game, uh, getting a lot of attention. After scoring hat-trick the week before. He's, he's on fire. He's a very good player. Right. So anyway... Um, you can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, all the usual places, uh, patreon.com slash rankcast if you want a little bit more show because uh, Patreon backers will get 10 or 15 minutes more show about some subject from the wide world of the world uh, starting, well, just about now. <laughs> 